just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today, after a couple of technical difficulties, which hopefully won't be too obvious or annoying throughout the episode, we are heading to Melbourne, Australia to hear from Rosie Roulette. In this episode, Rosie discusses their diagnoses of hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, fibromyalgia, endometriosis, and suspected postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, as well as talking us through the moment when they found out that they have a rare form of brain tumour. We also chat about how all of this has inspired Rosie's creative practice, what inspires them to be so open about their chronic illnesses and disability, and whether that surgeon was right. Would Rosie ever be a dancer? again. Rosie was the year above me at drama school and being able to chat to them now about their journey was a great check-in for me to remember that we really have no idea what's going on behind the scenes for people, even people that we might see every single day. Welcome to That's So Chronic. A burlesque and cabaret performer. You're currently based in Melbourne in Australia. So we are recording this over the internet. And as we've just <laughs> in the last couple of minutes seen, we yeah. did have a little bit of technical difficulties, which seems to be uh, the story of my life. At oh, the gosh, me <laughs> but too. Anyway, here we are. Touch wood, nothing happens. If people are following you over on Instagram at Rosie Roulette, they will know that you are a big fan of color. <laughs> when we first connected, you mentioned that one of your favorite things to do is to match your mobility aids with yes. your outfits. And I absolutely love that. You are also a disability advocate. Mm -hmm. You call yourself a disabled activist, uh -huh. which yes. I love. <laughs> <laughs> and you have been living with a diagnosis of hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, as well as fibromyalgia and suspected POTS or postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, yeah. as well as discovering in 2020 that you had a rare form of brain tumour, which we're going to chat more about all of this in today's episode. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Yeah, it's a fun list. It's, it's, it is a list. <laughs> I just found out I have a kidney stone as well. We'll just add that to the list. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I go in for a test for something else, I come out with a new diagnosis or a new sort of like symptom or, or something that they've found. So my, my recent story was that was I went in for, you know, ultrasounds for stuff going on with endometriosis, yep. which I didn't put on that list, but they found the kidney stone in my left kidney. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, that's fun. We'll add that to the list. Yeah. <laughs> what does a kidney stone like? Do they have, can they, do they remove it? There are ways you can remove a kidney stone. If it's large enough, you can use like basically sound 
sound waves to break it up. Wow. That's one thing that they can do. I don't think they're going to be doing that with me though. I have to get in contact with my doctor. Yeah. So far, mine's just sitting there in the kidney chilling out. Okay. So I just have to be mindful of the fact that I might suddenly get a lot of pain in the lower left-hand side, obviously reminiscent of where it is in the left yeah. kidney, which would be an obvious sign that the stone is trying to pass. I see. At some point, they often just try and make you pass it. <gasps> oh, that sounds really I don't painful. know. <laughs> it is extremely painful from all accounts I've heard. Yeah. Shall we start all the way back at mm. the beginning? Because... You did find yourself a little bit of a medical mystery back when you were a child growing up. Yeah. Talk us through what life was like when you were a young person. Oh, my God. Yes. So my first knee dislocation was at five years old, mm -hmm. which was fun for my swimming instructor to discover. Oh. <laughs> so the story there was five-year-old Rosie was at a swimming lesson and they had uh, put me up on the side of the pool to use my legs to demonstrate the froggy legs, the, the breath stroke legs. Yeah. And as it was bending and straightening, the knee just popped out, which is what it does because it's so loose, that left patella. And I didn't feel it at the time, but the swimming instructor reportedly saw it from my mother's account because I was five. I don't really yeah. remember this very much. And promptly freaked out because they, of course, thought they had broken me. Of course. <laughs> and then, of course, from then on, it was um, many years of going to surgeons and um, being brought before, uh, you know, medical teams of people to try and figure out the mystery of what to do with this extremely loose left patella mm -hmm. that will not stay in place um, and I had my first surgery at eight years old to try and fix it mm -hmm. which was a failure right. because what they did at that time was they just tried to cut the tendons Oh, <laughs> and um, on the right-hand side, because my knee dislocates to the left, mm -hmm. and keep it sort of uh, to try and, because uh, they were so loose, they're like, oh, we'll tighten those up and that will keep the knee in place maybe. But of course, looking back, they didn't know then that the problem wasn't to do with the knee in isolation, but mm. the connective tissue. So of yeah. course it was going to stretch again yeah. and allow the knee to re-dislocate. And that's what happened. So I was then re-surgeried on when I was 14 years old, okay. when they um, said that uh, my uh, legs had stopped growing at that point because they wanted to try something else. Mm -hmm. But this is still all before I'd been diagnosed, of course. So they were still treating it as an isolated issue. Yeah. So that surgery was also a failure. Yeah. <laughs> so they were both unnecessary surgeries looking back because they were treating a symptom and not the cause. Yes. <laughs> and was it always the knee that was like dislocating? Were there any other parts of your body looking back in hindsight? you can like piece that all together or was it was it mainly the knee that was causing you the knee concern? is the most 
obvious Mm -hmm. because it's so dramatic. But yes, there's a lot of other sort of triggers looking back in the sense that I bruise very easily. So I've always had lots of mystery bruises from just or just bruising from the lightest stupidest yeah. thing i have lots of bruises on my arm just from getting a massage the other day wow yeah so uh, i don't know if they're still there yes you can see oh, all those yeah. bruises yeah um i have a bunch of bruises that was just from the the guy massaging my arm yeah uh, <laughs> and i didn't think anything of that kind of stuff back then but i also had probably subluxations that i didn't know what they were mm-hmm. of like other joints in my hands and 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 shoulder but didn't know what they were at the time. My left shoulder. Not sure why that is. Yeah. Are you left handed? I'm not. Yeah, I'm right handed. Yeah. <laughs> but my left side is way more hypermobile in terms of just more stretchy than the other. Yeah. I don't know. My chiropractor just thinks that I favor one side. Yeah. And doesn't think much of it. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? And I also just injured myself very easily growing up so lots of strains and sprains and yeah rolled my ankles that was the other one all the time Mm -hmm. just because they were very loose so I had to have a lot of orthotics and uh sort of things growing up but it all it all makes sense now looking back because it all sort of like builds from the lower up obviously how your your body works and yes now as my uh my symptoms have progressed and my disorder has degenerated like I get more dislocations now Mm. so when you have this second surgery at 14 and Mm. we now know looking back it was unsuccessful how long until they did start to look at the bigger picture and you do get a diagnosis of EDS (laughs) so it wasn't any of my medical team uh, there that 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 found found that out because what happened my poor mother, by the way, because she had to sit in at these appointments with my surgeon, who I'll never forget his name. I shouldn't probably name him <laughs> on the cast, but I'll never forget his name because it sounded very similar to a previous prime minister. Anyway. Um... <laughs> Next minute, a defamation lawsuit is like at that Socratic <laughs> HQ. <laughs> That's pretty ambiguous, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> a name that sounded similar to one of many yeah. um, previous <laughs> prime ministers. So I, I always remembered it. Yeah. <laughs> and my mother would sit in the um, appointments with him and she would just get pointed at and, and told, oh, you're, you know, slightly double-jointed, so this is all your fault and stuff oh like gosh. that. Yeah. And just getting all of the blame. And I'm just like, that makes – my mother's nowhere near as, as hypermobile as I am. Yeah. So we think, obviously, it's come down from – I think we think it's come from her mother or somewhere else because um, my nana had lots of medical issues. Mm-hmm. which she didn't really talk about because yeah. that was just the kind of person she was. And <laughs> he also, to, to speak of how this person was, after the second failed surgery, massive bruise to his ego, decided to throw in the towel and decided to tell me that I was a hopeless case. There was no point operating or trying anything further on me. <sighs> Great. So you basically just said goodbye, good day, don't want to see you anymore. Oh my God. So when did you, how did you even 
move forward after that? Well, I didn't know how to no. for, for many years because yeah, he he was the one who told me I had to stop ballet. Right. Because he told me that I would never be able to go up and point with my my knee and with my you know my legs because mm-hmm. the other thing he noticed which still noticing now is that my femurs are interned the wrong way i see so yeah. he wanted to do an, another another surgery which would have been incredibly expensive and invasive where he would have cut both legs open and uh turned the femurs out wow to correct them yeah because i'm extremely pigeon-toed yeah. <laughs> which is great for turnout and ballet um anyway <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I stopped dancing. I stopped doing a bunch of stuff in my mid to late teens. And obviously I didn't pick it up again until I went to NASDA performing arts school. And it was around then, so it got left for a few years, that uh, we went to another doctor and she just happened to know oh. what she was looking at, Yeah, did a bunch of the tests and ran me through the criteria and then basically diagnosed me then and there and provided me with the information. So I was about 19 Okay. at that point. Was there then a management plan moving forward? I think I was so busy in my life at that point that we didn't end up doing much yeah. apart from like physios and things when, when um, needed. But I, I was so terrible with physio that I never stuck with it. Yeah. <laughs> I totally get that. <laughs> it wasn't, my EDS wasn't as bad. Um, and I was kind of used to dealing with it at that point that after the diagnosis, I kind of just put it into the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. And obviously, since I've had a bit of a downturn in the last few years, it's really the last three years that it's gotten a lot worse. Yeah. Um, and I'm getting a lot more frequent subluxations and, and dislocations. The chronic pain is definitely a lot more present, uh, etc. that um, I've sought a lot more management help. If someone is listening to this podcast and they've never heard of hypermobile Alice Danlos syndrome before, mm-hmm. what would be your definition or how would you describe this condition to somebody? Right, so Ellis Danlos syndrome, great name, by the way. <laughs> Don't know who, who the heck Ellis Danlos was, but I'm not sure they were in a position to be naming anything after themselves. Um, <laughs> but too I want to see their credentials, please. <laughs> anyway, uh, basically, it's a connective tissue disorder. It's mm-hmm. genetic, so it's uh, generally it, it's inherited. And... It affects all of the glue, essentially, that holds the body together. So when that's defective and hypermobile, as it is with somebody like myself, it doesn't hold all of the joints in place very easily, and they can very quickly and easily come out of place like my left knee does very easily. Things can move around where they shouldn't. Um, Sublax, which is a partial partial dislocation. Mm -hmm. And you can also be very susceptible to things like strains and sprains and um, lots of injuries from um, things moving around. I also have lots of chronic tendonitis, which just won't go away because the tendons just won't heal. Right. So I'm on uh, drugs that you're only supposed to take usually for like a sports injury and then go off of them Yeah. constantly because uh, my sports injury yeah. 
in quotation marks, will yeah. not go away. <laughs> yeah. So you're at NASDA, you're at drama school, just following this diagnosis. Did you ever need any sort of additional accommodations or any extra support to get through the degree? Or did you really just put your diagnosis in the back and just push and power on through? I mean, at the time, Ellis Danlis, I very much put into the back of my mind what was really going on in that point in time that was really painful was uh, the endometriosis, which Mm, uh, was being diagnosed at that point in time. Okay. So what I definitely remember during that time in my life was having a lot of lower abdominal pain. And there were some times that it was so painful. I just had to sit out and I just couldn't, couldn't shut my way. I couldn't dance my way through it. There's no way I could move my way through it because it's like having an extremely painful contraction. You can't do anything until the surge stops. When was it then that the following diagnosis of fibromyalgia entered Mm. your life? Because I'm imagining that a lot of this with the chronic pain is perhaps similar in a way. Yeah, so some people ask me how that works. How do I distinguish the difference between Nielsen-Danlos pain and fibromyalgia pain? And how did I get diagnosed with both? So... Obviously, I get a lot of joint pain, musculoskeletal pain because from the EDS, the muscular pain, because a lot of the muscles are working very hard to keep the everything, uh, you know, um, in place Mm -hmm. more than more than usual. So that can cause more musculoskeletal pain. And I get a lot of joint pain, tendon pain. But I went to a pain specialist a few years ago here in Melbourne and I had been curious about fibromyalgia because I had a lot of other pain that was unexplained Mm -hmm. so I have a lot of random pain um all over the place I don't know if you can hear the cat oh my god (laughs) Uh, he's starting to meow as well as scratch at the door and yeah I've just always had chronic pain and I've, I've often just dealt with it I was getting a lot of sort of like nerve type pain, lots of like random phantom pain um, that had no reasonable cause or explanation that had been looked at through multiple tests. And I just went to this pain specialist and he, you know, went through a bunch of things with me and then he diagnosed me with fibromyalgia Mm -hmm. after explaining pain and everything to me and then recommended me to this pain clinic that I've been with for a while that was a really great service to be a part of because they you know were helping me with management with you know having all of these different things from hydrotherapy to physiotherapy to also the mental side with having a psychiatrist and a psychologist as well yeah so yeah that was that was the start of my journey with fibro and starting to understand that. Mm-hmm. And then there's another diagnosis that <laughs> we add to this to this mix of yeah. POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which I'm now obsessed with saying those words. <laughs> I've been it's practicing a very all afternoon. much a mouthful. Yeah. It's, good, it's a good actor's exercise. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't say it properly. Postural orthostatic, tra- tra- I can't say this, tachycardia, tachycardia. Tra- Tachycardia? Tachycardia syndrome. Yeah, so I have to say suspected because it hasn't been formally diagnosed, but the funny thing is is that at the same time, uh, the tests I've done 
I've also discovered would be enough for a diagnosis in other countries. So I don't know why. Yeah. (laughs) Because I haven't done the table tilt test, Mm -hmm. which is one of the things that you can do. But I've done the blood pressure tests, which they take your blood pressure standing, sorry, sitting and then um, changing Mm -hmm. your posture to standing and they monitor your heart and your blood pressure and, and whether or not it changes rapidly for which it does for me. What prompted you to start investigating this? When did you notice symptoms? Well, I always get very lightheaded, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I went looking into it because it's a, apparently a, a common comorbidity with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Ah, I see. Hmm. And I was researching some of the the symptoms which because I don't I wasn't really too familiar with POTS there's the lightheadedness like you mentioned I also was reading that sometimes fainting can be a symptom Mm. the uncomfortable rapid increase of your heart rate Mm. and especially like you mentioned in the test from a lying down position to then standing up yeah so it's a change of posture so usually from either sitting or or lying down to standing basically what happens is is blood pulls (laughs) in like the bottom half or or something from what I understand and it just doesn't it doesn't sort of uh, go back through your system quickly enough Mm -hmm. and uh, you don't get enough to your head when you stand up and you get very lightheaded. Are you able to take any medications or treat or any sort of treatment plan to help with this? I'm sure there are but I haven't I haven't got anything for that at the moment it's something that is definitely on my list of things to, to look at help yeah. with. I've yeah. just got so many things on my list <laughs> that I've never managed to get through it. <laughs> that is completely fair enough. It's almost like a full-time job, just managing It is a full-time job health. managing chronic illness and, and disability. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> These diagnoses have influenced, I know, at least one of your characters that you busk on the streets of Melbourne with. <laughs> yeah. Your disability has also inspired your burlesque acts that you perform as well. And I'm curious as to what inspired you to start using these in your creative practice and also what inspired you to be so open about sharing them? I mean, that's a good question, but I've tried to remember like, when did that start? Yeah. I mean, I've been very passionate about using my platform to talk about disability for a number of years now. And sorry, my cat is now (laughs) being disruptive inside the office. (laughs) He's always around me. Apologies. No, no stress. Yes. So I've been wanting I've been enjoying using my platform to talk about that for a number of years. It's almost, yeah, like I can't remember what was the original spark Mm -hmm. of joy. What sparked joy? Um, (laughs) I'm just extremely passionate about sharing what I've learned as a disabled artist and wanting to lift up other disabled artists and help anyone that I can feel heard. Yeah and feel seen and feel like they don't have to live alone and in silence with a chronic illness or disability, especially since there's a lot of invisible ones that people just they have to pretend don't exist. Yeah, It's not talked enough about in general as well as in the arts, but in general. Mm-hmm. 
So I've been wanting to do that. So one of your other beautiful people that you've had on here, Diane Devine, is a good friend of mine. And I've performed in their show, Singing in the Pain, yeah. in Adelaide. And I'll be going back again this year for the third time. I am so <laughs> jealous. I It's like, oh, I just, my heart is literally hurting that I can't be over there again Aww. this year. That's cute. Oh, so I'm living vicariously through you, definitely. <laughs> well, I think it's it's yeah, it's the first, it's the fourth show. I was there for the the first. I think I was there for the yes, I was there for the first one because yeah. I was performing in a different show that was at the same venue before, <gasps> I hand, see. which was a Disney um, burlesque show. Yeah, and I was performing in that. So I. Um, watched that and fell in love there was an incredible performer also with Ellis Danlos syndrome also a wheelchair user who has incredible act that she does who came over from the US to mm-hmm. headline uh, called Jacqueline Box and I just fell in love yeah with uh, her art and yes after after that I yeah, have been back every year for Singing in the Pain to perform. I've performed my disabilities act mm-hmm. a couple times. And yeah, I'll be performing a new one this year. I saw an image yeah. on your Instagram of you performing a number and you're dressed as a ballet dancer. Yeah. And you have a mobility aid with you. And I'm I'm interested in whether that's a just a beautiful round moment to that surgeon who literally said you will never dance again. Fuck you, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. So that act, which is also called uh, the Zebra Ballet, Mm -hmm. so Disabilities, a.k.a. the Zebra Ballet, is my burlesque act all about living with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. So I do start out in full ballet ballerina garb with long ballet skirt, um, all pink, pink uh, leotard, pink crossover, hair up in a bun. And I have my zebra walking stick. And there's a voiceover of myself talking a little bit about stuff that we've talked about here today, about how I had my first dislocation when I was five years old and how I had failed surgeries from the age of, you know, eight to 14 and Mm -hmm. how my surgeon called me a hopeless case and that I'd never be a dancer. And during all of that, that's me trying to do pour de bra and um, other stuff with my stick as the bar and and struggling because I can't fully straighten my left leg on its own Mm -hmm. because of the knee and me trying to struggle through uh, my limitations and getting frustrated and eventually talking about community with finding other people with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and how we're all called zebras yeah and talking about why you know, uh, talking about how uh, a herd of zebras is called a dazzle. And I love that. Babe, I was born to dazzle. Yes. So then it just changes into this beautiful disco track called Dazzle. Yeah. And I strip off the ballet into a zebra leotard and I have my back brace on, my knee brace, my some of my other braces and my pressure gloves mm-hmm. and things. And I strip those off instead of uh, the things that you would usually 
size cloth. Yes, yeah. So the back brace kind of acts like a corset. Yeah. And um, obviously the pressure gloves like normal gloves. And um, I do a little bit of a cheeky reveal with my knee. Oh, such a sensual item yeah. <laughs> of the body. And equal parts education and celebration. That's amazing. I can't wait to see it one day. <laughs> I can send it to you. I've got it in recording. Oh, I would love I would love that actually. Definitely send that through. It's then 2020, the year that shook a lot of people. Nearly every human on the planet. 2020 was a nightmare year, the start of COVID, the start of the pandemic. But in your world, there was something else going on. Mm. That's when you discovered that there was something going on in your brain. Talk us through this time of your life. Yeah, so this was such a stressful year for everyone, but I was just sitting at home for a long time, not knowing what was going on. Uh, There was some bad communication at first, as sometimes happens between hospitals and patients yeah. and it had actually been found earlier but had not been really communicated to me what it was oh my god because uh what happened was it was originally found at the end of 2019 because I had this very strange episode when I was at work and I suddenly started having all of the symptoms of a stroke right so my tongue started going numb I think it was down the right side. I think it was the right side, right side of my face. And arm started going numb and started drooping. I had a sudden onset headache and all of these other sort of very telltale signs that look like a stroke. And I had to be tapped off um, my table at work. I work at a casino. Haha, <laughs> Rosie Roulette works at a casino. <laughs> Not intentional, by the way. <laughs> Don't even have roulette as a game. Really should be called Rosie Blackjack. Um, <laughs> or Rosie Becker. Doesn't have the same ring, though. No. Um, <laughs> but I ended up going to hospital, and, of course, they ended up running me through a CT scan and everything to check mm-hmm. for, you know, what was going up there, as they would for anybody who came in with um, presenting with symptoms of a stroke. Fun fact, they don't tell you what's going on. And it was my first, when it's an emergency looking situation, so less communication there. And I'd never had a CT with dye before. And I don't know if you'd had that. And it's the type of dye that makes it feel like you've peed yourself. Yeah. Which makes it very warm. They didn't warn me at all. (laughs) So I had no idea um, Mm. when I was going in there that I hadn't peed. I legitimately thought I had urinated and I was freaking out because I was wearing nice clothes. Yeah. Because I was wearing nice clothes. And I was like, I don't want to have gotten pee all over this. And I'm just like trying to stay still in this big machine thinking that I have just gone number one. And it was entirely embarrassing until afterwards I realized that it was a complete false alarm. It's just the sensation that the dye gives you. Yeah. Every other time I've had a CT scan of that nature, they tell you yeah. what to expect. Yeah. But that first time, mm-hmm. and the time that counts, yeah. <laughs> they told me nothing. 
they just rushed me in there i guess they probably weren't thinking anything other than make sure this person doesn't have a stroke yeah so what happens next what happened next was obviously they found out it wasn't a stroke Mm -hmm. and were just scratching their heads another little medical mystery there said that they assumed that it was just a complex migraine so a migraine that can present like a stroke okay and sent me on my merry way but they found then the colloid cyst which is what it's called um which is the type of brain tumor that i have but they didn't tell me anything about it but I had the report and I then sort of saw it later and uh, then took it to, I think, another doctor and they, oh no, it was, um, I can't remember exactly what sequence of events it was because my memory is absolutely diabolical. But eventually I had to go to another surgeon to check up on it to see whether or not it was going to be potentially lethal. Yeah. Because the, the brain tumour itself, with this type of brain tumor, they are in themselves benign. Mm-hmm. So they're not cancerous. Yeah. That just means that they're not cancerous, but they're a type of tumor that sits, they call, their full name is the colloid cyst of the third ventricle. And they sit right in the middle of the brain, quite deep in between the these two ventricles. Mm-hmm. And if they grow enough or they shift enough, they can cause a blockage in the brain and basically cause hydrocephalus. I see. So that's the main danger with them. And because they're extremely rare, there is not a lot of data on them. Yeah. So for the longest time, we were freaking out during that year because we thought I was going to need brain surgery yeah. to remove it. Wow. And the doctor, the surgeon was, you know, very happy to to be forthcoming and say he was very nice happy and happy to cut it out if I wanted (laughs) (laughs) and that the decision was in my hands oh my goodness (laughs) so then I had to make a decision about whether or not I wanted to um cut this out or not if I wanted to risk brain surgery or if I wanted to just leave it alone and and just hope that it's all good and doesn't move or grow yeah and if you don't get the brain surgery and you just wait and see what what would then like the process be so uh the process is um it's just mainly referred to as watch and wait where I have to have currently yearly scans of the brain just to check on its progress and my partner has my surgeon on speed dial just in case I ever fall down yeah (laughs) and collapse wow so it's it's really scary but so far it stays stable so it so far looks like it's okay the hope is that it will stay that way Mm -hmm. but you just the problem is is that there's just not enough data to know what will happen there's a couple of reports medical reports uh one that i read (laughs) there's like two that i could find and one that i read was of a female who was about my age slightly younger who had the same cyst, the same um, type of brain tumor, who was rushed to hospital and died on the way there. Oh my goodness. Because she couldn't get there in time. Right. And she died from the the hydro, Mm I assume. And there's not many other reports. I found a 
yeah, I've just been trying to get as much information as I can. And uh, the best I've I've been able to do is I found like an online like Facebook group for people with it. Amazing. And yeah, it's a real mixed bag of what to expect because some people are like me just watching and waiting and other people have had all kinds of brain surgery (laughs) and everybody's always you know talking about how big theirs is and measuring theirs and um, mine is apparently just just under a millimeter smaller than what they would usually consider for surgery okay immediately so we're hoping it stays at that point and it doesn't move or do anything yeah Is the brain surgery something that you would consider? Well, I was considering it for a while because I was super anxious about it. But then after lots of talking with the doctor and, well, with the surgeon, and after doing several brain scans, obviously just uh, another brain scan just to check where it was at to kind of, you know, uh, compare it to previous Mm -hmm. ones to see if it had changed at all, we decided that, it would probably be more risky to do the brain surgery without it having, you know, a huge cause for us to do it yet. Yeah, that makes sense. Like having, without it having moved or grown yet, mm-hmm. then it would be to just leave it alone and hope that it yeah. stays the same yeah. and doesn't do anything and stays dormant, essentially. Yeah. But it's just a strange sensation. I'm, I'm a lot better with it now. It was just extremely anxious, anxiety-inducing at the time. Yes, I can imagine. It's just like being told you have a ticking time bomb in your head that could explode at any time. Yeah. Is there any rhyme or reason as to why it suddenly appeared in your brain so it's thought it's thought that they're there with people who have it since birth oh it might just be another weird genetic thing that i have interesting does anyone this is like super it's on topic but again it's that's i think a theory because i don't think there's enough data does anyone in the facebook group Hmm. with this tumor have eds as well i've never asked yeah i wonder <laughs> i'm like just trying to piece all them i'm trying to be a detective yeah, here. puzzles together <laughs> yeah i have this genetic disorder this is thought to also be with us since birth do you also have this yeah yeah interesting would be interesting to ask i haven't yeah. talked with that group in a while how are you feeling about everything in 2022 it's what 2022 does now crazy isn't it? the rest of this year look like for you well it looks like i'm doing my own disability cabaret in a couple of weeks at the melbourne fringe festival <laughs> yeah. yes. which diana divine was supposed to be headlining at but Aww. it was supposed to eventually it was supposed to initially be last year yeah but obviously melbourne wasn't very well back then no melbourne has had a time (laughs) we've had a time we've had the longest lockdowns of anywhere in the world yeah and yeah due to lockdowns and stuff back then um end of last year melbourne fringe was cancelled slash postponed but they're so good here that they invited me to be part of this sort of smaller fringe called fringe rebound um, at Fringe Hub, and I'm doing six performances of the show with rotating cast of Disability Babes. Yeah. Even though Diana can't make this one because it's too close to their own disability show yeah. <laughs> for Adelaide Fringe, which I will be there for at the end of March, mm-hmm. I have 
um, another interstate disability babe, Sean Bridget, who's incredible, award-winning burlesque artist uh, coming to headline and a lot of amazing local um, artists who will be, you know, representing all kinds of different disabilities and chronic illnesses and showing what yeah. they can do. Incredible. If people listening would like to find you online so that they can keep up to date with any mm-hmm. of these shows, where can people find you? So you can find me on Instagram and on Facebook at Rosie Roulette. I'm at Rosie Roulette on all social media. Uh, and my show is called The Chronic <laughs> the Chronic Cabaret. So that's on Instagram and Facebook now too. Amazing. And I'll make sure that I link everything in the show notes as well. So people can, we're making it nice and easy. They can just go there and just click straight on it. Go straight there. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your story and your journey with me and with everybody listening, wherever they are listening in from today. Thank you so much. A pleasure. I hope you have a lovely rest of your evening. I really appreciate you taking time to chat with me today. Yeah, you too, Jess. Thank you. Once again, thank you all for listening to another episode of That's So Chronic. Unfortunately, this episode is being released after Rosie and Diana's shows have happened. But if you follow at Rosie Roulette on social media, you will be up to date and ready for the next one. Of course, you can always find me over on Instagram and TikTok. I'm at That's So Chronic. And all other information and links will be in the show notes. If you haven't already or you're new around here, make sure you've pressed follow and left a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That is all super helpful in reaching more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and, more importantly, hope. I'll see you next time.